Welcome to the Grinders Table, the podcast where we sit with C-suite executives and founders who are taking their industry by storm to figure out how you can build an exceptional career and business. Together, we'll try to uncover how they have both defined the odds and what you can learn from their experience. Okay, um, I'm so excited to have this guest. And um, in my usual fashion, I don't like introducing people. I'll let Foza introduce herself. So Foza, who is Foza exactly? I move in, uh, good afternoon. Foza in, Foza is a builder. Foza identifies as a bridge between finance and creatives. Foza is happy. Foza is passionate. Foza is not regular. <laughs> then Foza is actually a lawyer, an entertainment lawyer. Hmm. There are two adjectives I, I'd like to touch on there. Yeah. Not not regular and happy. <laughs> why do you why do you describe yourself as that? Towards last year, I've learned that a lot of us we when they ask you introduce yourself the first thing you go and do is say i'm the president of and this and that so if you're stripped of that what is really the essence of you so i'm learning to reintroduce myself in alliance with my values not my work because that can change at any point in time so happy because i'm um excited to explore what the future has for me in my own lane according to how it fits me not according to what some guy wrote should be what a founder should look like or what a ceo should look like or what an entrepreneur should look like it's i'm doing things according to my experience and according to what my intuition and knowledge has afforded me so yeah, so that makes me happy. We're not regular is I, I really don't care for I really don't care for whether you think like um like the normal path that everybody would go through. I'm I'm really not one to be it's not hard and fast true. I'm very open to I'm very flexible to doing things that makes me comfortable. So yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, and by the way, everyone, um, Fosa's full name is Unyi Kosola Fawemi Did I pronounce that right? It's Fawemi Kosola, yes. Yes, Fosa is different from Fawemi Kosola. Okay, well, how did the nickname come about? Um, if you guys go to my bio at fosa.com, uh, if you go to my website, fosa.com, if you go to my social media, you can just click on Sofa Sofosa and you see how that name came along. I wrote about it in my new book. That oh, yeah. But by the way, she has a book out there. So um, I would put the link in the description and you all should go get it. Yeah. So I, I gave a full um, explanation of how Fosa came about. But um, the context to it really was just to feel among. And that was how we got Fosa. But I'll let you go and read it. And when you read it and you find out why, you can message me. 
and our response. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Foza, you operate in a typically male-dominated field, and you know that combination of music and law is is quite an interesting combination. Um, what exact, exactly ex- inspired you to go into this? Because not many, I mean, first of all, not many lawyers want to do enter- entertainment law, at least to my own knowledge. And that's a niche that oftentimes is dominated by men. What what inspired you to go into that niche? Um. So for me, really, it's just a combination of interest. I I love the analysis that the law makes you do, the logic, the logical thinking, and I also love the fact that you can use the law to create a social social change. The law is a social engineering tool. Um. Create creativity really has just been at my core, but I've not been a creative myself. It's more of just I've always found myself, you know, taking care of them, whether it's management or investment or whatnot. So for me, it just came naturally to combine those two. Um, I was fortunate enough to find a mentor that was quite established in that realm. So it kind of gave me a, a guidance, like a guide to understanding how to approach it. So like I said, because I'm not a regular person, I enjoyed the challenge. And typically the other parts of law were quite boring, to be honest. So um, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go to court. I didn't want to do litigation. Um, I knew that I didn't, I wanted to be recognized for my work. Um, and I also knew that I wasn't going to do the regular law firm shenanigans. So, um, entertainment law just just fitted it. Once again, I wrote about the story and how I got there in my book. So again, my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, your interest in law. I, I know this. This is something you're passionate about. Plus music. Is this how you were like way back from say secondary school? You know, is that all your life, is this the part that you thought you would tow, or is this something that is this an interest that it, that grew over time? So for me, just generally, I've always loved music. Uh, I've always loved the arts. I used to be in debate society. I used to be in in dance, cultural dance, but I was not really always like the best at whether it was music or. You know, dancing. I was just like, yeah, you made decent, right? And I always wanted to be the best. Um, so I was very good at talking. So it was just like normal. Oh, you talk a lot, go and do law. Um, but I've I've always just loved the creative. So when I found out that I wasn't the best at actually being a creative, I figured that I could be the best at managing the creatives or managing the process or whatnot so yeah it's kind of like it uh, i'm sure you've been anticipating this question i'm talking about managing creatives you've had so many stories some are very very you know nice to manage some are very very crazy to manage some do not just choose not to listen to you till they get into troubles um again i'm not going to ask you about experience but i'm going to ask you what's your advice in you know managing 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 people that are very eccentric i i think if you're very if you feel a lot 
be an emotional, if you're a sensitive person, because I'll say emotional, we're all emotional people. And I really hate that, you know, one of the things that I was told the most in my career is, oh, yeah, emotional. I'm like, yeah, all of us are emotional. So why are you trying to make me look like I'm dumb? <laughs> you know, but for me, it's really just, it feels extremely sensitive. Like, I don't think um, talent management is for you. It's, um, I have a, a saying that, like, an average creative person is a mad person, is a bastard. Right, so it's like you're dealing with someone that you know, especially in a country where most of the creatives are coming from poverty. You know, experience will teach you that you don't trust the humility of a poor man. Right, it has taught me that. Um, so my advice is really, if you're a sensitive person, don't don't get into it because it's worse than a heartbreak. Like it's worse than. Well, because this one, you're not just spending, I mean, if you're in a romantic relationship, sometimes you get a really tea that you don't have to spend money. But when you're managing an artist, it's like, oh, you're creative, you're spending your money, you're spending your time, you're literally posting your life for this person's dream and carry on and whatnot. And these things like maybe one day you forgot to do one transfer, you're, 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 you're being termed a villain, or one day they decide that they want to name. And you said, okay, yeah, they can leave, but you have to pay me what you owe me. And they start telling you, oh, you lied about this transaction in 2002, in 2004. But it's like, but dude, I use the money to buy a move for you. So why are you coming to skip this thing? You know, so for me, just generally, it's, um, I, I think like the younger people have more zeal and passion to do talent management. So once you start entering your 30s, and you start having responsibilities. At the time, you're just, you become like stone cold. So it's like I'm, somebody can be crying in front of you saying, oh, help my car. And you're just looking like, yeah, you have the money to pay. <laughs> you don't have the money to pay. I wish you luck and good luck and good health. You know, so for me, it's just like protect your heart because you will get broken. For every successful music business entrepreneur you see, They've had their hearts broken at least 10 times before that success that you see from creatives or artists. And you can never meet with the artists because they have the soft power of, of um, popularity. So even if, you know, they are owing you 100 million and you're like, okay, I need to give me my 100 million back. The fans will tell you you're a UK person. So don't ever think that you're going to win in terms of brand, uh, uh, soft power, please. The best thing is just focus on your money, take your money and leave. <laughs> it's all about the money. Okay, now you've actually dropped some really, really good gems. But for you, again, I always tell people advice is contextual. What's the worst advice you've been given? The worst advice I've been given was focus on the money. <laughs> it was focus. And I'm going to just give this in the context of I think Nigeria generally, there's a lot of, on the world generally, don't let me say Nigeria, the world generally, there's a, there's a lot of lack of values, right? And, and values very much differ, right? So if, if I say integrity is a value that I hold it, the next guy that I'm working with is not necessarily an upright person and doesn't care. So if both of us are working on a project, um, 
he is ready to swindle someone of 15 million and he will logically explain it to you is his agency fee but you know i would be like ah this doesn't seem right even if i'm taking a profit you know contextually i'm not supposed to take more than this percentage of profit right because they are like rules there's the there's morals you know and all coming in so for a minute i tried to follow the advice of just focus on money and don't care about the artists whether whether they're signing a bad deal or not you know just collect your money and go i didn't i didn't have peace of mind <laughs> knowing that you know i'm pushing someone to sign something or um just because i wanted my 10 percent or whatever it is so from me for a brief second i tried i was very miserable it was like masqueraders were chasing me in the middle of the night <laughs> and i was just like all right i'm not i'm just gonna do what i'm most comfortable with and that's why i said i'm happy all right because now it's like i can lose like ten thousand dollars or whatnot i i won't be bothered because if if i made it 8k i know i made it with an honest mind right so it's like you can't come on nobody can come and meet me as i stole their money so for me that's the call that and i'm not going to give someone else that advice to say oh you know do this because this is personal to me right so i really need a shit <laughs> me you know i do i like to sleep with <laughs> so yeah yeah, um, you also, you play in an interesting space, and I think that um, that's one space that's been the bright lights for Nigeria and Africa as a whole, that entertainment space. Um, if we are projecting to the future and in your own experience, what are some of the trends um, or great things you expect to see or shape up the, shape up the future of African entertainment and music? Um... So generally, I, I just think like tech has made the entry barrier very, has broken the entry barrier. So I have artists that they are not rated in Nigeria. They will probably not pay them five million to perform, but they are going to Spain, Germany, and they are collecting like 15,000 euros, 20,000 euros to perform. So that's the beauty of tech, right? Um. The, for me, the projection is the people that know how to read data and punch up data and use data are going to be more, much more successful than the regular people that want to be giving radio stations 10,000 naira to play a song. So, um, yeah, the, the digitalization of the world is accelerating the culture um, intake is accelerating the cultural exposure and accelerating our faults, our advantage and whatnot. So for me, it's like a lot of executives will shine in the next five to 10 years if they do the work. That's, that's my, my, my projection. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm talk yeah. talking about how tech is disrupting almost everything. Um, where do you see Again, I'm trying to put this question in the right way. Where do you see the traditional, you know, record labels? Where, how do you see them optimizing or, or growing, seeing that everybody's using tech, say, for promotion or distribution or figuring out creative ways to not go through the traditional models? How do you see the tradi 
what do you expect to see for the traditional guys, the guys that, you know, already have this brick and mortar record label that they've been running for 10, 20 years? In Africa, I still feel like we have another five to seven years for the traditional model or record label. And that's because we're, we're poor. We're poor it can't be preaching independence, technology to a guy that can't afford, um, that can't afford to buy. Like, now, to get on this call, I have to pick in charge about 6,000 naira. Oh, no, sorry, about 10,000 naira to get 40 gigs so I could have a smooth. This is minus the fact that I already paid like almost 100k for fiber one that didn't work. Right? So if you want to rely on tech, you have to have the means to be able to, to access tech. The, the highest amount of money that you know, a lot of the artists have done is 500 naira to buy blue credit or NTN credit or Edel or whatever it is at 500 MB. And to do like two to TikToks, you know. So, um, to 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 promote on TikTok is equally as expensive. You know, to promote on Instagram and and what is equally expensive. So yeah, once the Google we have that unicorn that comes up and like, oh, uh, you know, this guy didn't need to do this or whatnot. But you know, when it be spared, and you know, this artist, the best of the artists, are still coming from the trenches. And the guys that really have the money here still don't see the financial market sense for music. I know that because I've spoken to a lot of like financial guys and whatnot. They still view music as buy and sell. So it's like if we're selling things to the how much are we getting? Like that's how they see it. And that's not how music is, right? So the traditional record labels still have a place here. Um they are just going to, which is which is what's happening in, in the West, is like, labels are going to be around for a long, long time because they were already shape-shift. They will include stake, you know, and they will incorporate them, but they will still remain because whether you like it or not, and 90% of the time, creatives are always broke. <laughs> and they know they always need money apart from, from recording. They want to flex. They want to flex the lifestyle. And that's why you see, like, your biggest artists in the world, Drake, Beyonce, they're still signed to labels because Beyonce says she wants to perform in the world. She's not going to use her money to do that. She's going to use the labels money to do that, right? If Rihanna says she's going to go to the Super Bowl and do, like, a 1,000-month, you know, match, she's not going to use her money to do that, even though she's a billionaire. Label gonna bear that burn. So when they say, oh, Rihanna did not spend any money, and she, she did not and um, make any money from them, like, shut up. <laughs> There's somebody's bearing the view somewhere. And that's why, like, the labor has been various. But now, what is happening now is that we're having various variations of how to access money. But it still comes down to one thing. There has to be control of the masters in some way, whether it's ownership or exclusive license or whatever. So, um, in, and in, in, in Africa, the best way is ownership because I'm not going to do exclusive license with you when the, the typical character of uh, an African creative is you can't give one person, 20 people, the same work. I want to end from everybody and clean you out. So, so for me, I still feel like they, they still have a place. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that, that's, that's a very, very interesting perspective. Um, um, you all, you've been listening to Foza and she's really, really shared a lot. Um, I have two things to ask of you. 
first of all, you share on social media, share with your friends, um, retweet, subscribe, all those beautiful things, but also get her book, which I'm going to be including in the link in the description. Um, Foza, we sort of um, glossed over this. Um, the music space and, and the entertainment law space is basically male-dominated. Um, what would you see at the challenges that you face as somewhere that is building a big career in that space and how have you managed to navigate you know the the, the beauties of building as a female in a male-dominated space i want to do something very cliche now i don't see color i don't see gender <laughs> <laughs> i'm just joking uh what do they call it so interestingly i wrote about this in my book and i said I face more of an ageism problem huh. when I'm coming up because, you know, for for my age, people say that I've done a lot, you know, I've achieved a lot, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I came into the industry professionally at 17, you know, it was jumping up and down. <laughs> so I face a lot of ageism problem. Oh, you're too young to have that. Oh, you're too young. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And the reason I didn't as much notice the sexism, I mean, it came up sometimes, but like I didn't notice it as much as because I had two male partners at the point that I was working with. And somehow, you know, in God's, those kind of comments or those kind of reactions always stopped at their tables. So, you know, graceful enough to always, you know, deflect that. Um, but the interesting thing is now that I'm older, right, it's now like, cause I'm not going to stay under the protection, you know, even though it was unconscious, it wasn't like a conscious decision of, oh, cause I was the managing partner of, of, of the law firm. Um, but for some weird, you know, it just sent an unconscious message out to people. Right. So now that I'm like, you know, a lot older and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, we've seen you over the years, giving you the opportunity to rise, but you can't go past the ceiling. So it's like you enter into a room, we're having a conversation. Um, you know, like, all right, I, I can add something very useful to this conversation. And you start talking and they they're leaving or they are disregarding or they're like so I've had a lot of microaggressions from younger guys to older guys to my colleagues, you know, just more, just more threatened by it. Like, all right, yeah, um, you've achieved all this cool, nice, but you can't do this. Like you can't access this amount of money. You can't, you know, oh, you know, who are those on your board and whatnot and whatnot. So it's like, I'm now beginning to experience my own sexism problem. It's funny. Um, but one of the things that I've, I've learned to navigate is I always deal with the microaggressions. So I have like, you know, like for example, if I'm entering to a meeting and I know like the other lawyer on the other side is a guy condescending or whatnot, I said, stand the tone of the meeting and say, please, I'm not going to encourage or um, accept any condescending tone during this meeting. The moment I spot one, I'm going to drop off the meeting, you know? Um, so yeah, and also what I try to do is to get into a lot of institutional mentorship because coming up is like, I'm the, I was fighting the fight, 
right? So now it's like, okay, I have the opportunity to make real change, right? Join a lot of NGOs, join a lot of associations. And, you know, we're putting together like a panel. I'm like, where's the woman on the panel? Even it's one. Um, so a lot of people also have, have made me a resource center for like, oh, we need a woman to speak on this. I'll send you. If I can't do a press thing, I always send a woman. You know, that's my own contribution, right? It's like, uh, and that's the only way it's like giving women platforms to talk and not, you know, shying away from the fact that we have a problem, but we're not complaining about the problem. We're also working towards solving that problem. And for those of us that have the platform, that have the power, that have the accomplishment to make, you know, some some changes, we do that. You know, I do that in my own space because I had women before me that helped me get to where I was and they opened the door for me. So I'm going to do that for the next person and for the next woman. I'm being very more intentional in terms of, you know, forming a network of women. For example, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, on the trustees board for women in music. Um, I'm on the aging board for, um, audio girl Africa, you know, I'm very intentional about like the, the CSR projects I do um, to be very targeted because the more women we have, the more we can change the narrative of male-dominated industry. When I came in, it was always, oh, they don't keep us, keep us a seat at the table. I dragged my seat to the table. I'm still dragging it. I'm still, you know, um, at some point, probably by the end of this day, I'm breaking. I'm just like, you know what? You guys can keep your cake table. We're going to form a new table here, which is kind of like what that already sorry yeah absolutely i i i agree with you and representation really 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 does matter because the more you see people like you up there the more you begin to aspire aspire and see yourself as see that it's possible like you can actually do this um i'm gonna ask you it, it just if you segue a bit from that have you gotten pushback from women too who is this young person i know you mentioned ageism but do you, do, and do you find that weird um I've already gotten pushed back from women. For me, uniquely personally, no. I've had um I've I've we had situations where I I've had situations where, you know, a woman has acted off. Um yeah. But I'm not I'm I would blame that on the construct and the pressure that the male dominated industry has fixed us into, right? So they've told us that we're too emotional. They've told us that we're weak. We can't make decisions. We, you know, we have emotional decisions and stuff. And I'm just like, the core of what makes us empathetic or makes us great leader are these emotions that you keep complaining about. So when we came in, they put that in our head. Oh, you're too emotional. Oh, you're too emotional. So the normal reaction for a woman that's trying to be in charge is, oh, I don't want them to see me as weak. I don't want them to see me as a pushover. So I'm going to be stern. I'm going to be a big bitch. I know. Um, so what I experienced from them wasn't a pushback. It was almost, almost a trauma response to, man, I have to fight tooth and nail to get here. And even when I'm here, they're still doubting the fact that I'm good and I can do this thing. So. I've, all my mentors, except for one, are women. And they've given me so freely. I've never, I don't think I can remember any pushback. You know, the highest pushback I probably got was just a very 
ignorant person saying they're doing doing Nigerian graduates, but I, I just feel like that was just basic ignorance. Um, but no, women have been grateful. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I actually love your your insight and logic as to why um certain people be behave a certain way, um, and um, thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, you've worked with some of the biggest um African creatives, Sas Timaya, um, Tenny, and the likes. Where do we, where do you expect to see yourself in the next say five years? Where do you expect us to see you in the next five years? So we'll hold you accountable. Uh, for me, it's playing on the global scale. Um, playing on the global scale among the finance scale. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of experimental projects to, to create exposure. I'm currently on a break just to... And as I said, I've been working since 17. And I'm 30 this year, so that is 13 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost 13 years of like nonstop work. So I'm I'm taking a break to recalibrate to you know, go back to my why, go back to my purpose. So I might be a bit quiet this year, but I know that, you know, once I'm coming back in the next four, five years, it's like on a global scale. I really, I know I'm going to be representing Africa. I know I'm going to be fixing major African problems. Might not do it from the continent, but in the next two to three years, uh, because you have to expand knowledge, you know, and whatnot. So maybe I might be in school, you know, or whatnot. But um, I'm, I'm basically branching out, you know, to, you know, get more degrees in, in business, in a leadership on a global level. Um, in the next five years, we'll be done with this new government coming in. So maybe, maybe like, maybe like in another, yeah, preparing for a political role. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I just found out, I didn't realize that we, we creative people who sit down or complaining, but these niggas don't care about us. And people like us that we understand what we need. We need at some point, my probably needs to be stepping. Uh, I hate campaigning. <laughs> I hate saying, come and do this for me. So maybe in ministerial position, because I have a lot of friends that are beginning to go into that, maybe ministerial position, maybe at state level, um, but pretty sure in some type of way being involved with the government for the creative industry. Um, yeah, no, no, but I just know that I'm, it's global. I'm just going to be global. Yeah. Not, yeah. I, I actually agree with you. I mean, we need to stop being the launch at the table and basically be at the table, you know. And um, if we just sit down and all complain and, you know, do all those yada, 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 we would, if things would probably never change to the levels that we expect it to be. So we, we have to start taking our destinies in our hands. Um, I, I took a break in January and one of the hardest things has been to not do anything, to do nothing. How's that been for you? Hey, RGBGBGB. <laughs> uh, um, you know, one of the assignments that my my therapist recommended was I should find the meaning of rest. I found that very insulting because I was like, I sleep a lot. Like, like I sleep, right? Like, you know, Every day, I can get like five hours to six hours of sleep. 
and they've said that if you are sleeping six hours, you are not going to be a billionaire. <laughs> so I'm ready for that. That oh shit, I'm not going to be a billionaire because I was sleeping a lot. They are telling you, you know, you need to find the meaning of rest. Um, it's it's it was very humbling, but now I think the thing for me is like I had to make very conscious decisions to step away from some administrative duties. Um, but the mind just keeps working. So one of the things that I've, I'm learning to do is even if you say you're not doing anything, it's like your mind will forever work. So my notes, I always have a notepad where I'm just writing. Like I just write stuff, you know, but I'm not actively from March 31st. I'm not active in terms of like worrying about, you know, reviewing this contract, reviewing that contract. Uh, it's just like, oh, I think in the next five years, I want to build a, an entertainment complex that has like 15 stories. I mean, that keeps the mind active. So that's how I'm trying to rest. Yeah, so it's like I'm removing myself from the administrative stuff um, and just allowing myself to think and be creative. So it's hard, but ugh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand. Thank you, Fosa, for spending the last few minutes with us. Um, I'd like you to leave us with uh, three things. I don't know why I said three things. Well, yeah, three things that you, three advice or three any three things that comes to your mind for creatives and people generally as they build their career. Um, the, f the first thing for me is your why, right? Why do you do? Because I, I think maybe also because I had a close shave with debt. For me, it's just like. So all this money that I'm trying to gather is my next of kin. And my next of kin, they don't care whether I, I slept at 3 a.m. to get, you know, whatever amount. You mean spending the way. <laughs> so for me, it's like, find your why and hold on to it. Because when shit is hard and becomes very tough, that's what keeps you going. Like the couples, the why. And the why can be anything. So far, it's peculiar to you. So if your why is money, let it be like that. If your why is peace of mind, let it be like that, right? So that's one. Two, your mental health. One of the saddest things that I realized is that we, the society has made, first of all, made you as a black man or a black woman feel like once you mention therapy, you are incomplete, you are disabled, you are, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. like you have spiritual problems or whatever so it's like then you now go down to you know black man as a black man you're taught like oh don't don't process your emotion don't do this don't do that and you see that this trauma that a lot of men carry they say they max statements oh they are successful so you're getting very toxic and bad behavior that you now transfer to other people then you just have a long chain of mentally distorted human beings working in an ecosystem, working in so that's why you see like something like like why why is it why is this acting like this? But it stems from a fundamental problem of mental health. I feel like all of you, everybody, she one of the things that led to my burnout recently was for the past two years I've been trying to lose money. So it, it's a new terrain for me, and I know that I sent out uh, approximately about 60 
you know, pitch decks and reached out to like 60 people. And I got like those, <laughs> you know, and that, that would tell a lot on your mental health. But when I was reading the stories of when we found out that was nobody is telling the new story of how they handled the fact that they got so many rejections. Just like, oh, they just casually say, yeah, I did like 20 and I got like the, you know, raise. No, can we be honest? That this shit is hard. Oh, if someone tells you mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it, it takes a toll on your mental health. Then you're now living in Nigeria, where if you're making a projection of one thousand dollars the by the end of the week, you're spending seven thousand dollars. And you're not making money. So it's like God triggers. Take care of your mental health. Because when you die, the only thing we're gonna do is light a candle and say, Oh my god, it was a great guy. But that's where it ends. Oh yeah, people move on very fast. Yeah, and you don't get to live life. You're not experiencing. You're not like just taking yourself, taking yourself. That's my own. Yeah, I've said to now. What's the third one? Buy my book. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Buy the book. Thank you so much for that. Really, really had fun. I'm having this conversation with you, and um, we'll definitely be buying your book. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, yeah. guys, for listening. That's all on today's episode of The Grinders Table and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MontiorUM. That's at Montior for Mr. French UM. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.